In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. So as we have been progressing to understand the Divine Liturgy over the past few weeks, we come today to one of the readings from the Gospel of St. Luke about this blind man. And it comes as a reminder for all of us that it is important to have the sight, the physical sight that we have, to be able to see. But actually, from Christ's response to the blind man, that his faith made him well, that it is important at the same time, as we have our physical sight, to have our spiritual sight intact. And through that spiritual sight, we will have an insight into what God has created us for. We will have a better understanding of our place in God's plan for the salvation of the entire world, and we will have a better understanding how we fit into that bigger picture and our role from the perspective of God to save the world and as members of His own family. So we have arrived last week to the last part of the Divine Liturgy before coming out with communion. And the thing that the priest says is the holy things are for the holy. I briefly commented on this last time. And by now we know that the holy things are the offering, the bread and wine that we brought as a community to offer to God, is now infused by God's blessing and is offered back to us in the form of His body and blood to infuse our lives with His blessing so that we can continue in our mission as His family. So the things that we offer, the bread and wine, are set aside because this is what holy means, that something is holy means that it is put aside for a specific use and for a specific goal. And the things that we offered as bread and wine are set aside to be sanctified so that we become holy in the same sense, that we are also set aside to do something from what God himself intended us to do. So the answer that comes from the choir, from everyone representing all of us, is one is holy, one is Lord Jesus Christ, which is a reminder that our holiness does not come from us, it comes from how much we are in participation and how much we are committed to Christ that through our communion in Him, we become sanctified ourselves. And that puts us in front of a big question. How do we approach the communion that is coming right after that? To question ourselves and to search inside our hearts to see how we approach the chalice when it's time to receive communion. Just a few reminders that I will highlight also the prayer that we say before we get there. That first of all, no one of us is worthy to receive the Holy Communion. Not even the clergy, not even anyone who seems to be holy, they, have, they are worthy enough to receive and participate in our Lord Jesus Christ. However, we can approach communion with worthily, that we try our best so that we can come 
worthily to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and to be worthy to worthily come close to Christ we have to prepare ourselves there's no set things that we have to check mark before we come to communion that I've done everything now I'm ready I can worthily receive the Holy Communion there's nothing like that in our church because the church understands that every one of us has their own circumstances their own life but all of us are asked to have Christ penetrate our daily lives so that we are ready to receive communion when we come to church some of the examples of the things that the church put in our lives so that we are prepared to receive Holy Communion some of these are like the fasting the personal and communal prayers the almsgiving, the helping the others. Confession and repentance are some of the things that we have to do consistently so that we are prepared to receive communion. If we do, do them only the week before communion, it doesn't make any difference because the transformation has to start inside us and to be there consistently so that when we receive communion, we are ready to have Christ himself inside of us. Some people in regards to confession, for instance, will ask, why do I have to confess my sins to someone else? Why can't I do it directly to God? And we all know from psychology, when we are accountable to someone else, we, are more, we have more chances that we again change because we have to come back to someone and say, I've done this again and again and again. The other question is that why, I do, why do I have to do this if I know that I'm going to commit the same sins again and again and again. And knowing from ourselves, even when we try, we fall back down again and we do the same bad things that we do usually. So why do we have to do this even knowing that we can come back and fall into the same pitfalls? No one of us would say that I'm not going to wash my hands or my clothes because they're going to get dirty once more, right? We continue to wash our hands and we wash our clothes, although knowing that they're going to get dirty again. So in a way, confession is a way for us to cleanse ourselves, to prepare and to renew our baptismal garment that we received when we were baptized again and again, so that we are ready for Christ to penetrate our life and to transform it from the inside. And through confession, we come to someone to be accountable to that person, knowing that this person is going to embrace us with love, even when we are not perfect, and will help us stand up even when we fall. That's why confession is necessary, so that Christ can work in our lives and transform us from the inside. Now, one of the prayers that we say before we receive communion it's in the book page 121 many people know it by heart but I want to highlight a few sentences from there to set our mind on the right things and how to approach the communion again it's 128 when it's 121 when it's time to read it let's read it together first of all I am chief among sinners I know what I do in my life I am biased against myself because I might not be able to see what others are doing in their lives. 
but I know what I do, and I am chief among sinners. This is the attitude with which I have to approach God. Because knowing that I am broken, I need Him to fix my life. And I will try my best harder next time so that Christ will strengthen me so that I don't do the same bad things I do. Now, the other one, make me worthy to partake of thy body and blood. Worthy according to his own criteria. Worthy according to him, not according to me. He will make me worthy to receive communion. So no one is entitled. Not because I feel like receiving communion, that I, then I am entitled to receive communion. I have to prepare for it. I have to work for it. The other thing in that prayer is that we're trying not to be like Judas. Because Judas, through a gesture of love, through a kiss, he betrayed Christ. Imagine how many times we do this in our lives. We claim we love the Lord, but in our life we betray Him so many times. We do just like Judas did, but we don't recognize it. So that's where the self-searching is important. So we recognize what's happening inside of our hearts, that we are ready to receive without betrayal. Then the deacon comes out and says, with the fear of God, faith and love draw near. We don't like the word fear. It feels like this is very oppressive. But actually, the, um, the wisdom of Solomon tells us that the starting, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. When we have awe and respect to God, we tremble knowing that we are standing in front of God. We are never worthy to stand in front of Him. Then we are ready to acquire wisdom. With faith, we approach the communion, but not just as an idea. It's with faithfulness that we arrive into the chalice, because the faith that Judas had was not faithfulness, so he betrayed Christ. We might fall into the same pitfall. We have to be faithful to receive communion. And in love, because we are not slaves. The relationship that we are establishing through communion is a relationship of a family, of children with their own father. So it's a relationship of love through which we become one family. Now, after communion, there are a few hymns that the choir sings in our behalf. One of them, we have seen the true light. We have, see, we have received the heavenly spirit. That's the healing of our sight. That's the healing of our eyes so that now we can see how God is working in our lives and through us in the world. Let our mouths be filled with thy praise. That's the other hymn. That we may meditate upon thy righteousness. Now that we have eaten, we have him in our mouths. Now we are ready to give praises to him outside of church. That's what we are asked to do day in and day out. And right before dismissal, we say something very, very short, but very meaningful and demanding on us. Blessed be the name of the Lord henceforth and forevermore. It's our responsibility to do so.
We are the ones who are asked to bring blessing and praise to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of this, what does it mean to bring praise to the Lord in our lives? It's very simple. If we talk theology, it might be, look very complicated, but let me put it in the simplest way possible. What we are doing in our lives, if we were to bring praise to the Lord, is to show the world that the sacrificial love of Christ that we try to emulate can transform the entire world. Because Christ, through his sacrificial love, transformed death into life. And this is what we are asked to do, to emulate this sacrificial love every day in our life, that through Christ, the world, the mortal world that we live in, can be transformed into the heavenly kingdom in our life. Amen.